Our scripture reading for today comes to us from Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Hear now the reading of God's word. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now that you would be with us as we sit at your feet to hear your word once again. Father, you know how we have endured these past six days, and we know um, what we have to face in light of everything that is happening around us. But Lord, what we need to be reminded of is that you are with us, that you are our faithful Father, you are Redeemer, you are the Keeper of your promises, and you are the hope of our salvation. And Father, we ask that as we think of these things, as we hear your word, that your word would do its work so that we can truly come out of it transformed, renewed, and prepared to face whatever challenges that you have sovereignly decided for us to go through because of your glory and for our good. And so, Lord, would you help us to receive all that you want us to receive today. And as we do, may you banish whatever discouraging or distracting thoughts that the enemy or our flesh is trying to create within us so that we would be deafened to your word. Father, we pray that by your spirit, we would hear your word loud and clear and that we would respond in faith and in love and that you would truly be glorified in all of it. We ask that you would now bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, during these unsettling times, no doubt you've probably heard certain ideas being circulated on the news and social media. And if I had to put these ideas into words, I would probably utilize the ones that begin with the letter P. Words like prevent, prepare, and pause. And maybe you've heard those words actually being used in all the things that you have been listening to and watching. For example, we need to prevent this virus from spreading beyond what it already has. Or we need to prepare for the worst in terms of how the economy is going to be affected by this virus. We need to pause our normal way of life in order to flatten the curve of this virus. Prepare, prevent, and pause. Three words that begin with the letter P that no doubt has been either spoken or conveyed during this season of COVID-19. But I'd like to draw your attention to another P word that as followers of Jesus should be at the forefront of our minds as much as these other words that I just mentioned, and that's the word pray. Pray. And the reason why I say this is because I worry that with the limited time that we have, we spend all of it in terms of preventing, preparing, and pausing, and hardly any of it, excuse me, on praying at all. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised that if the only time that you've prayed this week is right now, during this time of online worshiping that we're doing at this present moment. And look, I understand we're living in a very critical time where it is vital for us to prioritize what is important. I think if we were brutally honest with ourselves, the idea of praying just doesn't feel as much of a priority as preparing, preventing, and pausing. But I would like to argue for another case. I would like to convince you that praying should be one of the most crucial priorities that you do as much as you work to prepare, prevent, and to pause. In fact, it might be even a greater priority than those. And to make my case, we're going to take a look at the famous prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, known as the Lord's Prayer. But we're not going to look at all of it, but rather just a snippet, the fourth petition that I just read to you in Matthew 6, 11, where it says, Give us this day our daily bread. 
we're going to take a look at the significance of what this statement of Jesus is saying embedded in the Lord's Prayer so that as you listen to today's message, you'll come away fully convinced and therefore fully ready and prepared to pray to your God as you prepare to prevent and also to pause. So, with that in mind, three points that I'd like to share with you in light of today's message. First, what praying our daily bread says about us. Second, what praying our daily bread says about others. And finally, what praying our daily bread says about God. Let's jump right in with the first point, what praying our daily bread says about us. You know, if you ever get a chance to read the writings of the early church fathers, and by the way, if you have no idea who those people are, those were simply the spiritual leaders in the days of the church when it first started, hence the early church fathers. And if you ever read their writings when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, you'll be shocked to discover <clears throat> that when they come to this fourth petition of praying for daily bread, you'll notice that they have a very negative attitude that they don't like it very much. And the reason why we know this is because they tend to over-spiritualize this statement of Jesus as if to imply there's some hidden, deeper meaning that we have to discover. In his book, When You Pray, Pastor Phil Riken explains why the fathers felt this way. Consider what he says as he explains their behavior. Quote, Praying for daily bread may not seem very spiritual. The early church fathers were almost scandalized by the idea of making such a mundane request. Origen thought daily bread was too, quote, earthly and small to pray about. He concluded it must therefore refer to the word of God, which is the bread of life. Jerome called it supersubstantial bread rather than daily bread. This meant it was more than physical and therefore referred to the sacramental bread broken in the Lord's Supper. What the fathers could not quite bring themselves to see was how down to earth the fourth petition is. Jesus is teaching us to pray for plain, old, ordinary bread, end quote. It turns out that the reason why the early church leaders did not like this petition is because, for lack of a better word, it wasn't spiritual enough for them. And because it wasn't spiritual enough for them, it was something that they perceived that was unworthy of being offered to God as a form of prayer, which is why they worked so hard in coming up with creative interpretations to make it seem more deeper, more meaningful, more worthy of being lifted up to God as a prayer. And here's what's so interesting. This negative attitude towards this idea of us needing to eat, it's something that we see in our culture as well. You know, back when I was in high school, I had to go to school very, very early because school started for me at 7.45. That's right, 7.45, which means all throughout my high school career, I never ate breakfast, and I think that's why I'm probably only 5'8". I think with the size of my head, I should have been at least 6'2", at least taller than Pastor Charles here. But no, no, I'm, I'm only 5'8", and I blame my high school for that. And I remember one morning, uh, a friend of mine whose car is within a shop called to give her a ride on the way to school and so I did and I used that opportunity to go on my diatribe of how frustrated and angry I was at my high school for not allowing us to wake up in time to eat our breakfast and to this day I still remember her response you know what she said to me she just said well John doesn't bother me because I don't eat breakfast you see I don't need to eat breakfast like you do and just in the way that she said it and the tone that she said it clearly was conveying to me that in her mind she was my superior, that, that she was somehow better than me because she didn't, quote, need to eat like I did. And you know what's so annoying? 
We see the same spirit of superiority amongst our professional peers sometimes. I mean, haven't you been uh, recently or maybe not so recently, but still in your lifetime been confronted by a peer who would say something like, man, I'm just so busy. I don't have time to eat lunch. I'm just so busy. And they don't say it because they're really upset, but they say it almost as a way to, to boast in themselves, to kind of to kind of lift themselves up as if they have some badge of honor that they can't eat. You ever heard that nonsense? If you have, then you know what they're really saying. They're saying, oh man, I am so important that I do important things. And they're so important, they supersede the importance of needing to eat. <laughs> That's the kind of mindset that people like that have. And yet, whether they realize it or not, they're assuming something by having this kind of negative attitude. And you know what that assumption is? It's the assumption that basically says this about themselves. I am not intrinsically important to where anyone would care about something that only affects me, i.e. my need to eat. Hence, I need to make myself important enough to where I don't need anybody, even if that means sometimes I can't eat. That was the underlying assumption of the early church fathers, and that continues to be the assumption of so many people today, including many Christians. And yet the fact that Jesus commands us in this prayer to pray for our daily prayer tells us that according to Jesus, that is absolutely nonsense. That assumption is absolutely wrong. You see, by praying for our daily bread, Jesus is teaching us to remind ourselves that we are so important to God that something that is so trivial and so mundane in the eyes of others, like our need to eat, is God's greatest priority as far as he is concerned. Consider these words from pastor theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones when he writes this, quote, is there not something extraordinary and wonderful about this request? Is not this one of the most wonderful things in the whole of Scripture, that the God who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, the God who is forming his eternal kingdom and who will usher it at the end, the God to whom the nations are but as the small dust of the balance, that such a God should be prepared to consider your little needs and mind even down to the minutest details in this matter of daily bread? If only we could grasp this fact that the Almighty Lord of the universe is interested in every part and portion of us. There is not a hair of my head that he's not concerned about, and the smallest and the most trivial details in my life are known to him on his everlasting throne." End quote. This right here is what praying for our bread says about us. Christian, you need to hear me. You are so significant. You are so important to God that even the things that no one else cares about except for you, i.e. your need to eat, is something God cares about more than even you do. Isn't that amazing? That is so amazing. And yet, as amazing as it is, you should also be aware that it's also very protective. Protective? Yeah, protective. What do I mean? Let me explain. Let's take a more closer look to what Jesus has here. Right? What does he say? He says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice how he seems to be emphasizing the time frame of just one day. He doesn't say, give us every day our bread forever. No, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Is he emphasizing just the needs of one day? Well, because he knows something. He knows something about you and me and everyone else. And that is in the heart of you and in the heart of me is this thing that endangers the people around us. And you know what that is? It's greed. 
greed. In the heart of every human being is this constant, habitual, chronic tendency of always taking more than what we need. You guys remember what happened when you went to Costco recently or BJ's or have you seen the videos that have been going around of what people have been doing at Costco? You've seen the aisles of items that they've cleaned out, you know, the things that they must have, whether it's milk, bread, and of course you can't forget toilet paper. We all need toilet paper. Now, of course, people who behave this way may attempt to justify their greed by simply saying, hey, we're just reacting to the virus. That's all we're doing. We're simply just reacting to the situation that this virus has created. But is it really that? Could it be something else? Could it not be that the manifestations that we of greed that we've been seeing this past few weeks is not because the virus, re, people are reacting to the virus, but rather it's because it is revealing, the virus is revealing what is in people. In other words, people are greedy not because the virus makes them that way, rather the virus is revealing how we already are. Isn't that most likely the case, that that is what COVID-19 is doing? It's not making people greedy, it's revealing that we are greedy. Let me prove it to you. Think about how you were before this whole corona thing happened. Think about the last time you did go to Costco or BJ's, wherever you shop. Have you ever been guilty of this behavior? You go and buy a bunch of perishable items, whether it be meats, cheese, milk, right, fruits and vegetables. And have you ever been guilty of these things not ending up in your stomach or in your family's stomach but inside of your trash because you didn't eat it in time right what is that that's greed and where does this greed come from folks it doesn't come from the coronavirus it comes from that false assumption that I referenced earlier you guys remember that you know the false assumption where it says I don't believe I'm intrinsically important therefore I gotta make myself intrinsically important do you remember that hmm? If that assumption was true, do you realize what the implication would be? Wouldn't it strongly imply, wouldn't it strongly conclude that if you can make yourself important, that means it's through your efforts, it's through your energy, it's through your activity that makes you more important? And if someone, for whatever reason, whether they don't have as much opportunities that you've had, they haven't been privileged like you, to put in as much effort to increase their level of importance, now what do you have? Now you have people who are considered to be different levels of importance from one another to where a person who may have put more effort to make themselves quote-unquote more important now feels more justified, now feels more entitled to take more, even if it means someone else has less. Because after all, I put the effort in, I earned it, I'm more important. Don't you see? Jesus is trying to prevent from us turning into that greedy monster that has manifested during this season of corona, jeopardizing the lives of others. But you know that won't happen, Christian, until you first believe what praying for our daily bread says about you. You are inherently important. You are truly significant. That's the truth, Christian. You have to believe it. If not for your sake, at least for the sake of others who will be protected by your greed when you believe that truth. Speaking of others, let's now move on to the second point. What praying our daily bread says about others. Now, 
there are some Christians who will read this portion of the Lord's Prayer and they'll get highly offended. And they're not going to get offended because of the way the early church fathers were offended. No, they get offended because when they read this part of the Lord's Prayer, they think it's God making a promise that he's already broken and he still breaks all the time. Let me explain. For some Christians, when they read this portion of the Lord's Prayer, they interpret it as if Jesus is promising that anyone who prays this prayer will never go hungry. That as long as you have faith and you pray, give us this day our daily bread, and you really believe that God will provide, that that will assure you that you will never have a moment where you have to skip a meal because of circumstances beyond your control. That you will never go hungry. But of course, we know that isn't true. We all know there are millions across this world who go to bed and wake up early, hungry to the point of starvation. Many of them are Christian, which you, you would presume are praying this actual prayer. And so when we see this seemingly discrepancy, we Christians, we struggle, don't we? We think to ourselves, wait a minute. If Jesus is telling us that, that if we pray this, that God will be faithful and provide, and yet we see people who genuinely love the Lord not receiving these promises does that mean our god is unfaithful does it mean he's in he he's incompetent does it mean he's cruel and so you go through this whirlwind of doubt and insecurity but before you let your mind go there i would ask for you to consider one thing specifically one word and that's the word our the word our the first person plural if you look at our passage you notice jesus uses that here in this petition and not only here Throughout the whole Lord's Prayer, Jesus uses the word our over and over again. So, for example, he starts off by saying, our Father who art in heaven, rather than my Father who art in heaven. And later on, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, rather than forgive my debts as I forgive my debtors. Jesus is constantly using the first person plural throughout this prayer. And the question is, why? Well, because... He's trying to show us by this simple grammatical emphasis, this communal social pronoun, that we have a responsibility to the people around us. And that's no different with this fourth petition when it says our daily bread. You see, there's a specific reason why Jesus teaches us that we are to pray for our daily bread rather than for my daily bread. And that reason is simply this. When you pray to God for daily bread, you should not only be thinking about your daily bread. Again, when you pray for daily bread, you should not only be thinking about your daily bread. Rather, you should be thinking about the daily bread of other people, not just you. So what does all this mean then? It means that when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you're not simply asking God, Lord, just give me what I need or what my family needs. Jesus is telling us that you should also be praying, Lord, give me the same compassion that you have to where I am concerned for the needs of others as I'm concerned for my own needs. Consider again these words from Pastor Phil Riken as he says this, quote, By asking God to give us our bread, we also identify with the poor, especially the Christian poor. In this culture of consumption, we often forget the hungry, but we live in a needy world. Food for the world is a matter for prayer. Hunger is not an agricultural problem, by and large, but a spiritual problem. There are more than enough food to feed the world, yet people still go hungry. The poor lack bread because of greed, sloth, corruption, oppression, 
and warfare. When we pray for God to give us daily bread, we're also committing ourselves to share it when we get it. Otherwise, our prayer is insincere. How can we pray, give us this day our daily bread, and then refuse to provide that the rest of us need? If I am to pray this prayer honestly, I must be willing to become part of the answer. End quote. I must be willing to become part of the answer. That's what Jesus is getting at. So coming back to the question at hand, why are there so many people starving in the world? Why are so many people going to bed hungry and waking up hungry? Why is over half of the world's population living off on less than $2.50, mostly children, many of them Christian? Is it because God is evil? Is it because God is lazy? No. One of the biggest reasons is because so many Christians are not genuinely and properly praying, give us this day our daily bread. Because the transformation that should come out of it when you genuinely and properly pray that hasn't happened or it isn't happening enough. Okay? That's why we see so much hunger. That's why we see so much lack, even amongst our fellow brothers and sisters across the world. And it all comes back to the problem that I brought up in my first point, and that's the problem of greed. See, you and I live in a culture that is constantly trying to shape our mindset to where we think that it's okay to take more than what we need. But again, that goes against how God created us to be with one another. Consider this quote from Pastor Rick Warren in his New York Times bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. He writes this, You weren't created just to consume resources, to eat, breathe, and take up space. God designed you to make a difference with your life. While many best-selling books offer advice on how to get the most of our lives, that's not the reason God made you. You were created to add to life on earth, not just to take from it. God wants you to give something back and that's exactly what Jesus is trying to help us to grasp. So that when we pray for this, give us our daily bread, we're also praying for the needs of those around us to where we are concerned about their needs as much as we are of our own. As Jesus later on says the same thing, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So practically speaking, what does this mean? It means again that when you pray, as I'm sure you've all been praying during this time where potential lack could be looming over you, you're not just praying for the possible lack in your life. You're praying for the others in your life, the others in the various communities that God has embedded you with. You're praying for their needs as well, whether you're talking about your school community, your work community, your neighborhood community, and most definitely, especially, your church community. And this is something that I really want you guys to understand and grasp because I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm not being dramatic when I say this. There are people right now that you know who for a fact have either lost their jobs, will lose their jobs, and will not be able to find a job, which means their ability of acquiring daily bread has been jeopardized. This is the social climate that we're living in right now, which is why it's so vital that we understand what praying our daily bread says about others. You know what it says? It simply says we are responsible in making sure that we are there for others when the time arises for us to be there for them. That's what it says. Now, let me just pause for just a moment and address those of you whose daily bread has been jeopardized recently. 
You know, as your pastor, I am making this promise to you right now. You are going to be fine. You are going to be okay. We, as a church family, as a church leadership, we are going to make sure that that's going to be so. None of us are going to go hungry, homeless, or helpless in any way. You know why? Because that's what a church family does. We're here for one another. We are here for you as we expect you to be here for us. Because our God, our Jesus, commands us in this small section of the Lord's Prayer that this is how we're to be towards one another. Our God commands us. The authority of God is behind that promise. Our God commands us. See, it always comes back to our God. Our God. Our God. So, with that in mind, let's end this message with our God, which takes us to the final point, what praying for our daily bread says about God. You know, one of the questions that's frequently asked as they focus on this specific petition of praying for daily bread is, why did Jesus focus on bread? Why does he single out bread as the food that he wanted to associate with this idea of God providing for our needs? I mean, after all, he could have used any other possible food, food that's probably more universally eaten, more than bread, I don't know, like meats, fruits, vegetables, eggs, you know, or, or better, why didn't he just use the generic term food? You know, give us this day our daily food. At least it would have created more of an inclusive feel, therefore magnifying the faithfulness of God and providing for our dietary needs. Why does God just focus on bread? Well, actually, if you think about it, it's not too hard to figure out. You see, even back then, people knew how to stretch the longevity of foods, whether it's through pickling, salting, sun-drying, turning things into jerky or fermentations. People were able to take things like meats and milks and fruits and vegetables and handle them in such a way that there was no need to stockpile them daily. You know, they could just totally extend these things, but you know what? Bread was different. Bread was a daily food, which is why back then families in the ancient world, they only cooked enough bread for a day because after the day, the bread would quickly go bad. It would go moldy. It would be inedible. And Jesus, knowing this property of bread, at least back then, he uses this to make a profound point. And let me see if I can explain it through this very long-winded illustration. Please bear with me. Let's say you're living in the days of Jesus, right? And you, this person that I'm talking about, goes to the market and you go by the local farmer and buy a bunch of fresh vegetables. And as soon as you get home, you immediately pickle these vegetables, these fruits to where they last you for months, which also means it'll be months to where you'll need to interact with the person who provided you these things, right? Or let's say you go to your butcher, right? And you get a bunch of meat, and as soon as you bring that meat home, you salt it, you cure it, you turn it into jerky to where it can last for weeks, which also means it's going to be weeks before you need to interact with the one who provided you with that meat, right? But bread is different, right? Bread is one of those things to where if you need it, every time you do, you have to go to the one who provides it. You have to go to the baker, if you want your need of bread fulfilled, you always have to go to the provider every time that need arises. You see, bread was the only food back in the ancient world where the need for it was always connected to the one provided for it every time that need arose. 
you see. And in fact, the need for bread and the provider for the bread, the baker, were so intertwined that even the baker was sometimes synonymously just called bread or bread man. This is why Jesus chose bread. It also explains why Jesus himself is called bread himself. Whether you're talking about the manna of heaven or whether you're the reference of him being the bread of life. Jesus chose bread because he wanted to convey that same idea. You see, Jesus is trying to teach us something that many of us don't realize. See, when it comes to our needs, whether it's our need for food, our need for shelter, our need for relationships, our need for forgiveness, the Bible says that these needs are not ultimately concerned with food, shelter, relationships, or forgiveness. Rather, these needs are ultimately concerned of the provider who gives us these needs satisfied. That's the whole point. You see, far too often, Christians make the mistake of saying something like, Jesus is important because he provides for my needs. But the Bible says, no, you got it backwards. Your needs are important because they show you who your ultimate need is. Again, so many Christians make the mistake of saying, well, Jesus is important to me because he provides for my needs. But the Bible says, no, it should be the other way. Your needs are important because they show you who you ultimately need, who your greatest need is. Consider these words of Jesus recorded in John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying the satisfaction of our need for God is far greater, far more important than the satisfaction of any other need that we have. In fact, the primary reasons to why we have needs is not so that they could be met, but rather we can meet the one who provides for those needs. That's what the Bible is constantly telling us all the time. That is what praying our daily bread says about God. It says God is our greatest need. And here's what's so astounding. You don't need these other needs met in order to get your need for God met. In other words, you don't need food in your stomach. You don't need shelter over your head. You don't need a spouse lying in your bed. You don't need the righteousness that would merit forgiveness in order to have God in your life. All you need is bread, the true bread, the bread of life. You need Jesus. And this leads us to the other reason why Jesus singles out bread in this prayer. Because in order to eat bread, do you know what you have to do with it? You have to break it, right? You guys have heard that phrase before, breaking bread. You know why they say that, right? It's description of how you eat the bread. In other words, in order to receive the vital life-giving elements of the bread, it first has to be broken for you. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of the gospel. The good news that says that God came into this world as Jesus Christ and he lived the perfect life that we could never live, right? packing himself with righteousness that gets released to us the moment his body is broken on the cross for us. Us who put our faith in him as our Lord and Savior. Us who turn away from our our sins and repent of them because first and foremost we believe that through Jesus we are inherently important. We are so especially significant to him. 
That's what the gospel teaches. And when you understand that gospel, you know what that's going to do? It's going to stir in you an impulse. It's going to cause an inner demand in you, the same kind of impulse and demand that you feel right now to prepare, to prevent, to pause. That's going to lead you to pray, to pray this specific prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And the more you do that prayer, the more it reinforces forces what the gospel already says about you that in Christ you are inherently important you are so significant you are so special and the more you understand that the less and less greed comes out of you and the more and more good neighbor you are to the people around you especially at a time where they need you to be a good neighbor the most Christian do you understand now why this prayer is so much of a priority for you especially now because it is through this prayer and the spiritual formation that it will do in you because of the power of the gospel that you become a formidable blessing in a corona-infested world. The question is, do you believe that gospel and will you keep believing that gospel so that you can keep praying this prayer? Just a couple of next steps as we end today's sermon. First, if you're hearing this message and you were accessed to it by a friend and you're investigating Christianity and you're ready to move forward of making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, please take this time right now to go before him by acknowledging his amazing forgiving love for you and respond appropriately by turning away from your sin and making Christ the king of your life. And now be ready to go on a wonderful adventure of being a blessing to the world. Number two, take some time and pray the Lord's Prayer every morning with your family. I've been doing that uh, with my children too. And I just see it as such an important way of being reminded of what Jesus is trying to teach us about what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer. Finally, number three, as you go into your Oikos groups this week, and by the way, folks, there is room for those of you who are not in an Oikos group to join one uh, through the Zoom online platform. But go into your Oikos groups this week and brainstorm real practical ways of how we can be good neighbors, of how we can provide for the daily needs of the people in your various communities, including your home church. And now let's pray together. Father, we come to you knowing that without you, we are completely lost and we are defenseless to the enemy within and to the enemy without. Father, in this time where we are feeling so trapped in, Lord, it is easy to get agitated to the point where we just want to respond by being greedy because we forget how important, how significant we truly are in Christ. And so, Father, we pray that during this time where we have much to think about, where we have time to meditate on the things that we read and what we see and hear, that what we read and saw and heard in today's message would sink deep into our hearts and it will bring the transformation, bring the transformation that it needs to have by the power of your spirit. Father, I pray that from this virus, people will say that the church of Christ was truly a beacon of light and hope so that those who are currently living in spiritual darkness will not only come out of the pain and misery of the coronavirus, but they will also go into the peace and the bliss of being in their Savior's heart. 
God, I pray that you will truly help us to be good neighbors and that we would grow in that by praying for our daily bread. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.